spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2 And I know that some will label me a Pharisee Because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity On the popularity of the gospel of prosperity Turn off TBN, that channel is overrated The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated It's kinda like a pyramid scheme Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream It's foul and deceitful, they're lying to people Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself how can they not be convicted Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket And you're thinking they're not the dangerous Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole I am the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, I'd love to get feedback from you as far as questions you may have or comments. And so you can go to my uh, website, seancole.net. You can find my contact information there as far as my email. You can Facebook me. You can tweet me. I would love to get some feedback. You can go on iTunes and give us a review and rating. That would help us to get the word out about this podcast, Understanding Christianity. This podcast may not be very long, but I felt like I needed to do it today. I wrote a blog post uh, the other day on my on my blog, our church's blog. We also link it to uh, my Facebook page and our church's Facebook page. And it's titled, How to Recognize a False Teacher. And I know there may be some who listen to the podcast that don't actually read my blog. And so this is just an opportunity for me to actually speak what I wrote um, in a little bit more casual way as far as how to recognize a false teacher. Now, I'm not going to read my uh, my blog verbatim. I'm going to be looking at some of the points that I made and especially focusing on the passage of Scripture. But the reason that I wrote the blog post was because we live in an evangelical culture of confusion. There are so many false teachers, there's charlatans, there's deceivers, and especially in our world of Facebook and Twitter and satellite TV and on-demand podcasts and all the technology we have, there's no shortage of heresy. And some of this heresy, some of this false teaching is somewhat benign. Uh, People that preach the power of positive thinking, uh, kind of your lightweight word faith type people, all the way to those weird manifestations where people begin barking like dogs or they talk about uh, direct conversations they've had with angels who sprinkle them with gold dust or give them a filling with with a gold. Um, There's all this weird stuff that's going on, all this evangelical pandemonium. And there's really nothing new under the sun. If you go into the scriptures, the New Testament, Paul, Jude, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, 2 Peter, all of these epistles really warn against false teachers. Jude tells the church in Jude verse 4, he warns them that ungodly people had, quote, crept in unnoticed into the life of the church, and they were perverting the grace of God into sensuality. They were denying the lordship of Christ. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Which brings up a, a huge question. If Jesus says, we will recognize false teachers by their fruits, then what's the, the, the question we've got to ask is, all right, what are some of the distinguishing marks of false teachers? How can we actually recognize them by their fruit? What is very sad to me and actually very concerning is that many popular spiritual leaders, many popular teachers, pastors, speakers, conference leaders, ministry leaders, they may not themselves hold to heresy. They may not themselves be a false teacher. But here's the issue. By their partnership and their affiliations with those who are false teachers, they demonstrate that they lack biblical discernment. But when they appear on certain programs, certain channels, they join together for conferences, for crusades, they partner. What they're demonstrating is that they are demonstrating, number one, a lack of biblical discernment, but they could possibly be sliding into heresy themselves. Now, you go to their uh, websites, you go to their ministry, and you find out that, for the most part, their um, their, their doctrine is pretty standard. It's pretty... Um, Orthodox, if you just read their doctrinal statement or, or, for, or, or whatever, but then by who they associate with, who they affiliate with, who they partner with, who they're on stage even with, it shows that they lack biblical discernment and they may actually be sliding into heresy themselves. Many of these teachers really value unity, unity above doctrine and truth. They may be so concerned about, quote-unquote, uniting the body of Christ. We need to be united as the body of Christ. That they compromise core beliefs in favor of ecumenism. Now, what is um, ecumenism? It's the desire to join across maybe denominational or religious boundaries, um, while at the same time forfeiting clear doctrinal distinctives. One of the biggest examples is the need to somehow include Roman Catholicism into this whole definition of what it means to be the body of Christ. And so what ends up happening is um, you see uh, evangelicals and Catholics together. It was a movement back in the the early 90s. But you see a lot of these um, teachers and leaders uh, wanting to, quote unquote, unite the body of Christ. And and when when you include Roman Catholicism in that, you've basically denied grace alone, faith alone, sola fide, sola gratiae. The Council of Trent in 1546 um, enforced this statement. Quote, if anyone says that by faith alone the sinner is justified, let him be anathema. And the word anathema means really damned to hell. Uh, The current catechism of the Catholic Church also teaches this. And so in order to be unified and to bring all these different denominations and bodies together, those leaders could actually be in danger of compromising cardinal truths that are... are, um, that we fought for for the last 500 years in, in the Protestant Reformation that truly define the gospel. So what I want to do on this podcast, um, and, and it's also in relation to the blog post I wrote, are, are to give six distinguishing characteristics of false teachers. 
Now, I know a lot of you may want me to name names. So you want me to give a list of, of names and give you who I think are the top false teachers right now. And, and I, I thought about doing that, but then I thought a little bit more deeply about it and, and just realized that false teachers fluctuate in popularity. They're going to come and go. Uh, the hottest false teacher today may be tomorrow's old news. And so, for example, you know who, who's popular right now in 2016? If you're listening to this podcast two or three years later, uh, there may be somebody new. And so uh, false teachers come and go. And so I don't want to necessarily list names. What I'd rather do is give you the biblical characteristics of how to recognize them. How do you recognize these wolves? And so the place I want us to go, our main text I want us to look at, are Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. And I really think that Paul here gives us really six identifying markers or, or ways to recognize a false teacher. So let me read 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the word of Paul to the young pastor Timothy. Paul says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among God's people, who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now let's unpack this passage of scripture and look at these six identifying marks of how you can recognize a false teacher. Here's mark number one. Leaders whose teaching contradicts sound doctrine. In verse three, Paul writes, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus. So we've got the words there, doctrine, a different doctrine, and the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where do the sound words come from? They come from the scriptures. So the first distinguishing identifier of a false teacher is really blatant heresy that denies sound doctrine. Does the teacher hold to the absolute essentials of the Christian faith? Does the leader embrace the rich theology of our early creeds and confessions, the foundations of the faith? What's his or her view on the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the sinful nature of fallen man, the virgin birth, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the resurrection, 
The exclusivity of Christ and salvation, Jesus being the only way. What do they believe about salvation by grace alone through faith alone? What's their view on heaven and hell? Is, is hell a place of eternal conscious torment? What's their view on the inspiration, authority, and inerrancy of the scriptures? These are the foundations, the dogma, if you will, of historic Orthodox Christianity. Let's think about the Trinity for a moment. Is the false teacher a modalist? Now, what what is a modalist? A modalist is one who denies that there are three distinct persons within the Godhead. In other words, they view God as playing three different modes of existence. Here's the definition of the Trinity. I think the best definition is really in the early creeds, but I think Dr. James White in his book, The Forgotten Trinity, has given a pretty good definition. And I've really, I read that book about 15 years ago, and I've kind of memorized it because I think it's very well worded as far as just being a succinct definition. And here's, here's the way he defines it. Within the one being that is God, there exists three distinct persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are co-equal and co-eternal. And so within the Trinity, you have three bedrock truths. Number one, you have one God. We're not polytheistic. We believe in one God. One God who is one in essence, one in substance, one in being, however you want to use that word. But within that one God that's one in being, there are three distinct persons. The Father is not the same person as Jesus the Son. The Son is not the same person as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the same person as the Father. They are three distinct persons and they are co-equal. There's not a hierarchy of being and they are co-eternal. They've always existed. They haven't come into existence or it wasn't like the Father created the Son or the Son somehow created the Holy Spirit. And so what a modalist believes is that basically God plays three modes, three different manifestations is maybe the wording they use. So what a modalist does is deny the distinct persons within the Trinity. Let's think about the deity of Christ. One of the ancient heresies is Arianism. Uh, It's named after um, the guy Arius. It was condemned at the Council of Nicaea in 325. And from this heresy um, came really uh, the, the Nicene Creed, which helps define the deity of Christ. But, but basically an Arian denies that Jesus is fully God in the flesh. They deny that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, never created, but has always existed in eternity past. So is your false teacher an Arian? Do they deny that Christ is God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God, that Jesus has always existed in eternity past? There was never a point where Jesus was came into being. Let's think about the humanity of Christ. Are they a Gnostic? This is probably not as popular today as it was in the in the early church, uh, but one who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. There's these this this view that basically uh, docetism that basically Jesus just appeared as a man. He wasn't really fully Jesus or, or God in the flesh. One of the things that I I see a lot especially in the word faith, new apostolic reformation movement, and just the wacky things that go on there, is an over-fascination and worship of angels. 
you often hear people giving personal stories about angelic encounters where an angel came and spoke to them and the angel had a certain name or, or maybe they were transported to heaven where they received some type of special knowledge that they are privy to that they can impart to the rest of us. And maybe that angel uh, anointed them with gold dust or maybe that angel uh, gave them some type of special manifestation. Let me give you the words of Paul. In Colossians 2, 18 through 19, it reads, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. That's very clear. Somebody who goes on and on about this in detail, about this vision they had, about this angelic encounter, Paul says that disqualifies you from Christianity. Instead of talking about these detailed visions and worship of angels, Paul says you really need to be focused on being connected to Christ, who's the head of the church, that we may grow in Christ. What about their view on the sinful nature of of humans? is the leader of Pelagian. Now, Pelagius was a a monk in the 5th century in England. Basically, um, Pelagianism was denounced as a heresy in 418 AD at the Council of Carthage. But basically, a Pelagian believes that human beings are born neutral. We're born as a blank slate, if you will. Uh, There is no inherited sin or inherited guilt from Adam. Basically, uh, Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden had no impact upon us. We can choose to sin or not sin based upon our um, environment. And so really, it's a denial of original sin. And so really, the, the false teacher, are they denying total depravity? Are they denying inherited sin from Adam? That every faculty of our being is tainted by sin. It renders us guilty before God and in need of forgiveness. What about the substitutionary atonement? It's under attack today. There's a lot of people that give lip service that Jesus died on the cross, but they do not see it as a propitiatory sacrifice. And a propitiatory sacrifice means that Jesus propitiated God's wrath, God's justice, God's righteous anger against sin by taking that penalty in his body. They, they often call it cosmic child abuse, or they say that that's not the God of the Bible that would exact justice upon Jesus in our place. They deny God's wrath being poured out on Christ on the cross. Does the leader uh, deny the literal resurrection of Christ from the grave? Here's another one that's kind of slippery. The exclusivity of Christ. In other words, Jesus being the only way of salvation. As he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You'll often hear some of this slippery language like Jesus is one of many ways to God. Or as like you hear in the shack, the the book, the shack, or maybe by a famous um, pastor in Houston, the largest pastor. I said I wasn't going to mention names, but let's just talk about Joel Osteen. Um, I will mention a name. Jesus is the quote unquote best way to God. That language is very slippery. 
Because it doesn't outright deny that Jesus is the only way. But when you say Jesus is the best way, you leave open for there to be, well, there, there may be other ways that are good, but they're just not the best. What about salvation by grace alone through faith alone? Do they add additional requirements that need to be met in order to be accepted by God? I mean, is there some sort of sacrament that someone has to uh, perform related to the Roman Catholic Church? Are there, are there other human works that needed to be added that somehow contribute to our ability to be forgiven? Even baptism, do they require baptism? Do they require speaking in tongues? Do they require financial giving? Any other human work added to faith alone, grace alone? What about hell? Does the teacher believe in a literal hell as a place of eternal conscious torment for those who die in their sins and rebel against God? Do they bristle at the thought of God punishing sinners for eternity? What about the inspiration and authority of Scripture? Do they believe in a fixed meaning of the Scripture? And what I mean by a fixed meaning is that the Scripture was written you know, thousands of years ago, but God has a fixed meaning that He communicated through the Holy Spirit to human authors, and that meaning does not change over time. Therefore, what God has to say about sexual ethics, in particular homosexuality, that has a fixed meaning. It transcends culture. It transcends history. It doesn't change. It doesn't evolve. Uh, you may hear people saying, well, you know, we've evolved. Uh, we've progressed. That's, that's archaic. That's the way things were back then. But we've got more science. We've got more sociology. We've got more anthropology now. We're more enlightened now. And so we understand the full picture. And then they can begin to deny some basic tenets of Christianity. You see, these are the dogmas of the Christian faith. Dogmas, the absolute essentials that one must believe in order to hold to orthodox, historic, confessional Christianity. And if you deny any one of these, it places you outside the bounds of historic, orthodox, confessional Christianity. You are a heretic. You are a false teacher. Now, that's probably the easiest spot. Mark number one, they deny, outright deny sound doctrine on the, the dogmas, the foundations of Christian faith. But here's Mark number two. Mark number two, leaders whose teaching does not promote godliness. Again, in verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, a teaching that accords with godliness. Now, I'm going to introduce to you a word, antinomian. Don't be scared off by that word. It comes from two Greek words put together, anti, against, nomos, the law. It really means that they encourage licentiousness. They downplay the role of God's moral law in the life of a Christian. You see, God's moral law and the Ten Commandments have been given to the Christian as a rule of living. Just because Jesus came and died on the cross and fulfilled the law does not mean that that renders the Ten Commandments obsolete. For the non-Christian, the moral law of God is used as a mirror to show their utter inability to keep the law and to drive them to despair so that they will realize that they are toast, they can't keep the law, they are guilty, they are condemned, they fly to Christ for salvation by grace alone through faith alone. But for those of us who've been saved after salvation, the law is still in effect. The moral law is given by God as a rule for living and we are to live by it. But, you know, the, the, the teaching here 
that goes against godliness might have something like this. The false teacher may may sound something like this. You know, God, we're saved by grace. We're under grace. And and God offers forgiveness. And, and, you know, once saved, always saved. You get your get out of hell for free card. And so it really doesn't matter about obedience. It doesn't matter about godliness or holy living. You know, you can pretty much live however you want because after all, you asked Jesus into your heart. He's accepted you. You've accepted him. Once saved, always always saved. Uh, You know, you can always bank on God's forgiveness. He's always going to be there to bail you out with forgiveness. So, So go engage in unlimited pleasure. Go engage in unlimited fun and just bank on God's automatic forgiveness. And you hear things like that. That is not teaching that accords with godliness, holiness, a repentance that leads to life. You know, Peter echoes this idea in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Listen to what Peter says. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Do you catch what Peter said? Many will follow their sensuality, their licentiousness, their antinomianism, their libertinism, whatever word you want to use, their denial of God's moral law in the life of the Christian. That's not teaching in accord with godliness. So that's Mark number two. What is Mark number three? Leaders whose teaching focuses on inflating their ego or drawing attention to their charismatic persona. Leaders whose teaching focuses on inflating their ego or drawing attention to their charismatic persona. Now, when I use the word charismatic, I don't mean it in the the spiritual sense of speaking in tongues or or the sign gifts. I mean it in in just the the way we would use it today, that they have a very alluring or captivating personality. They're a huge personality. That's That's what I mean by that. 1 Timothy 6, 4 says this. He is puffed up. This false teacher is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Listen to the wording there. He's puffed up. He's conceited. He's arrogant. He's ego-driven. He's focused or she is focused on promoting his or her own agenda instead of God's glory. Again, Peter also echoes this, um, urges us to recognize false teachers. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Loud boasts of folly is what Peter says. Timothy here says he's puffed up with conceit. So here's some questions to ask about this ministry leader, about this false teacher, about this, this, this pastor or, or whatever. Look closely at the ministry. Determine if they're in it to make a name for themselves. Do they promote, quote, their brand, their personality, their their persona? Do they make much of themselves as opposed to God? Who is the center of attention in their ministry? Do you see someone who, who is puffed up with conceit? Do you see an inflated ego that needs to be stroked? 
Do you see the leader's charismatic persona as the driving force behind their teaching? Or is it God's glory and his word front and center? Who's really the centerpiece of the ministry? Mark number four. Leaders whose teaching enables depraved minds to continue to be deprived of the truth. Leaders whose teaching enables depraved minds to continue to be deprived of the truth. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, He has, this false teacher, has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Here's what you will see in false teachers. They will attract goats. They will attract false converts. They will attract lost people that show no evidence of regeneration. Their followers are not discerning. They display a depraved mind. They, they do not have uh, minds or lives that are shaped by a biblical worldview. And so what false teachers do is they continue to keep those lost people in a state of depravity by depriving them of the truth. Ask yourself a question. When you look at the followers, when you look at the, those who, who, the flock, if you will, of these leaders, does it show evidence of godly, maturing believers who hold to sound doctrine, who use wise discernment, show forth fruits of regeneration? Is that who is, is the main bulk of their followers? Or is this false teacher an enabler? What do I mean by an enabler? Are they enabling lost people to remain in their state of lostness? Is this false teacher a manipulator? Are are they dispensing God's word of truth first? Or is there an addiction to having masses of people flocking to their church or their ministry? You see, they're in it for large numbers. It doesn't matter if they're lost, if they're goats, if they're unregenerate. We're going to keep them coming by depriving them of the truth. We're going to enable them to stay in a depraved mind. Now, large numbers, mega churches or large followings are not in and of themselves inherently bad. I mean, the early church was, was large. The, the Acts gives us the number, 3,000 on the, the first day of Pentecost. But that's not the issue. The issue is, is there an overzealous fascination with gaining numbers at all costs through pragmatic marketing, deceitful tactics? Is this the modus operandi of this false teacher? Are they more concerned with making sure people continue to support their ministry than they are with teaching truth? Second Timothy has something to say about this. Paul warns Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Does this false teacher itch ears? Does he tell sheep, I mean, does he tell the goats what they want to hear so that they'll keep coming back but never teaches them the truth? Does he or she enable false believers, unregenerate people to continue in a state of depravity? Are they accumulating around them people that are 
um, having their ears wanting to be itched? Are they wandering off into myths? Here's Mark number five. Leaders who greedily seek financial gain instead of godly contentment. Leaders who greedily seek financial gain instead of godly contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5 says of false teachers, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, financial gain. They're in it for the financial gain. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Paul gives exhortations to, to shepherds, to pastors, to elders about how they are to shepherd the flock. And, and Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. I think the King James says filthy lucre. Uh, we don't use that, that term much, but shameful gain. Does the spiritual leader show evidence of seeking shameful gain through financial manipulation? Is the ministry focused on sowing a seed into the ministry that really helps the false teacher remain on top of the pyramid pyramid scheme that they've concocted where, where they get richer and richer? Is there an overemphasis on money and finances and, and seeking God's blessing financially? Is there this whole uh, talk about uh, gain? I mean, the wealth, health, and prosperity, word, faith, movement is a false gospel. I would say this, this is a bold statement, but I would say 90 to 95% of everything you see on Christian television is heresy. Now, there's one exception. The NRB network is solid. They've got R.C. Sproul and they've got others on there. But TBN, Daystar, the God network, all these channels... They're all by the word, faith, prosperity preachers who preach a different gospel. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 says about false teachers. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Think about that. They have, they're, they're using false words. It's false teaching. What are they doing with that false teaching? They're exploiting people. They're manipulating people. And why are they doing it? Because they're greedy. Because they're greedy. I mean, we see that played out. You just turn on Christian television and you see it hour after hour. That verse right there. Greedy, money-grubbing televangelist exploiting people with false words. And what's the warning that Peter gives there? Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep meaning it's coming quickly. These false teachers are under condemnation. They're under destruction. Now, Mark 6 is tied to that. Mark Mark 5 is more about the actual character of the false teacher themselves. They're greedy. They're money grubby. They're exploitative. But here's Mark number 6. Teachers who lead people to desire riches and love money plunge their followers into ruin. Teachers who lead people to desire riches and love money plunge their followers into ruin. 1 Timothy, our main passage, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Oftentimes, we, we, some people misquote this. They say money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money. And notice it's in the context of false teachers. False teachers who themselves are greedy, who themselves are exploiting people, and they're teaching, they're promoting this whole idea of loving money, of having harmful desires. And what does it say? It plunges people into ruin, into destruction. I mean, how much of their teaching and preaching focuses on the glory of Christ, focuses on repentance, taking up one's cross daily, denying self, embracing suffering, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, or how much of their emphasis is on money, riches, power, popularity, prestige? I mean, here's what happens. These false teachers prey upon those that are less fortunate. What do they do? They promise them wealth and prosperity. If if they just have enough faith, Remember, your words create faith. And so by your words, you're creating faith. And you can even do a better job if you sow a seed in their ministry. So not only speak words of faith to create faith, but give a seed in faith so that you can get your blessing. And so here's what happened. When the financial breakthrough doesn't come, when the miracle doesn't come, when the anointing doesn't come, the frustrated follower is left thinking that somehow it's his or her fault that this didn't happen because they must not have enough faith. They must not have an anointing. They, they must just be a second-class citizen of, of Christ and, and aren't, get what's, aren't getting what's coming to them because they just didn't have enough faith. And so these false teachers uh, tap into that frustration and continue the, the downward cycle of causing these uh, followers to keep giving, keep giving, keep giving so that they're plunged into ruin. Paul provides a strong warning at the end of 1 Timothy in regards to this materialism and greed. And in 1 Timothy 6.17, he writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What do these televangelists and these false teachers, these prosperity people do? They're teaching people to set their hope in the uncertainty of riches and to be haughty, to be greedy. And Paul says that's that's the exact opposite. Now, the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, gives us some important teaching on discernment. In Hebrews 5.14, he says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You and I must have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Now, how do we do that? We, we need to be diligently training ourselves through the scriptures. We need to be firmly sound in doctrine. We need to hold fast to the trustworthy scriptures. And we need to be praying for this discernment so that through constant practice, through exposing ourselves to the word, we can readily recognize false teachers. And, and I think we also need to be doing this. We need to pray for those trapped in those false belief systems, that God would graciously rescue them through His gospel. We must be wary, must be on on the lookout when a religious leader who, who claims to have sound doctrine but has affiliations and partnerships, like I said earlier, with those who do not, all for the sake of unity. I think that's where the discernment needs to come in. I think it's sometimes easy to identify an outright heretic. 
that that's easy. It's when people that you trust or people that you followed begin to not necessarily deny the cardinal beliefs of Christianity, but they, they go on stage with somebody who's just whack. Or they begin to go on a conference speaking tour with somebody that's questionable. And then you begin to think, well, why are they doing this? What's their motivation? And again, we, we can't uh, dive into a person's heart to see their motivation, but we, we can ask some questions. What, what are you doing this for? And oftentimes it's, well, we want to be unified. We want to unify the body of Christ. We want to cross denominational boundaries. We, we want to show that, we're, that we have solidarity, that we're coming together, that, that God's bringing revival. And when God brings revival, there's going to be unity. And, and so we really need to, to bond together to show the world that we're unified. Do you realize that Jesus prayed for our unity, but never, never at the expense of the truth? Hear me very clearly. Jesus did pray for our unity, but never at the expense of the truth. Where do we find that? In John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before he's betrayed by Judas, hours before he goes to the cross, and he's he's, uh, praying sweats of blood. And he's going before his heavenly father. We get this wonderful prayer of Jesus in John 17. John 17, verses 17 through 21. Listen to the prayer of Jesus. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. As for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's he's originally praying for the disciples that he had there with him, but he's also praying for us who will believe. But notice what his prayer is, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Do you see the tie-in? Jesus says, Lord, I, I want them. Father, I want them to be one. I want these believers to be one. I want them to be unified. And when they're unified, when they're one, the world's going to believe that you sent me. It's going to be a great witness. It's going to be a great evangelistic image to see Christians unified. But that's just half of what Jesus prays for. What else does he say right before that? Sanctify them in the truth. I want them to be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus is clearly saying, there is no unity without being sanctified in the truth. So never, never at the expense of truth are we to seek unity. Yes, Jesus prayed for our unity, but never at the expense of being sanctified in the truth. And the way that he uses the word truth there, it's almost like truth with a capital T. The truth, the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. And so the question is, is may we all be sanctified in the truth. May we all hold faithfully and hold fast to the gospel, to the sound words of Christ. And that as we are unified in that truth, In that confessional, historic, orthodox truth, we're unified around the truth. Then the world might believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord because they hear the truth and they see the church unified under the banner of that truth. So those are just some thoughts from the Scripture about how to recognize a false teacher. Well, again, I thank you for listening to understanding Christianity 
Again, if you want to contact me with any questions or comments, go to seancole.net to find my contact information there. I'd love to interact with you on Facebook or Twitter or through email. Maybe if you do have certain questions or topics or some theological issues you'd like to talk to, talk about or me to talk about or teach about on some future podcast, I'd love to get your feedback on that. And so thank you for listening. I hope you are also enjoying the, uh, the, the teachings that we're doing on Sunday morning. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. And just to kind of give you a side note, if you're not part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, we are seeing great fruit from this preaching. We are seeing a lot of people come to faith in Christ through the clear teaching of the gospel in Jesus. And it's really exciting to see. Uh, we've had uh, just a family come out of Mormonism. We just baptized four um, adults who, who came out of the Mormon faith uh, through clearly hearing the gospel. And so the, the Sunday morning worship services in the gospel of John, God in his grace is really producing some exciting fruit through that. Wednesday night, I'm teaching through Hebrews, and so hopefully you've had a chance to listen to those teachings, and so uh, we just really appreciate the reach that Emmanuel Baptist Church and, and myself have, and all the listeners around the world that are listening to this. Even if you're not connected to our local church, uh, we love to be an extension to the body of Christ, to be an encouragement to you, uh, to, to give you sound teaching, and to help you to understand Christianity. That's the name of the podcast, Understanding Christianity. Thank you for listening. Have a great day in the Lord. May God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine. Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle Ungodly and wicked Ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type Cause some of the statements are right That only proves that Satan comes as the angel of light